The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. If you are enjoying the show or if it's your first time listening, we are on social media at No Nonsense Pod, both Twitter and Facebook. Go give us a follow. Also, be sure to subscribe to or Follow the show on whatever platform you're using to listen. If you're listening on iTunes, go leave us a rating and review. Great show for you today as we are recapping the Titans' loss to the Buffalo Bills. We've got Buck Rising from A to Z Sports to join us a bit later. Uh, but guys, as we start out, you know, here's what I think that the storyline is off of this loss. The Titans are only the sixth team in NFL history to make it through five games with only one offensive turnover. The story of this game is really that the Titans are close and they've been doing such a good job. It's only a matter of time before they break through, right? No, because the, <laughs> <laughs> because the turnover the turnover thing doesn't matter if oh, you're no. not making plays uh, on offense and you're not moving the ball very efficiently, and you're not putting the ball in the end zone. Uh, we can say whatever we want about Cairo Santos. Yes, we would have won the game if he made all his field goals, uh, and we probably would have won this game if we didn't need him to make the field goals, and we would have just been better in the red zone and actually would have put the ball in the end zone. So I, I'm not – we can blame this loss on the kicker. I, I understand it, but there are, are deeper issues that, that, that we have to iron out and I don't know if we're going to be able to iron those things out because uh, the offensive issues seem to to be to be pretty bad, particularly on the offensive line, which has been horrid, just horrid all season. And and they they were having issues last year. Well, so well, the offense is broken, right? We we were just talking about that before we started recording. Yeah. It's it's pretty much a disaster from top to bottom. And and you know, Mariota played fine uh, on Sunday. I thought. But, you know, it's only a matter of time before he has another game like Jacksonville or Indianapolis. And when he's playing well, Arthur Smith is a disaster and the offensive line is a disaster. 
it, it not only it's like they can't all get in sync, but at the same time, there's like no expectation that it's ever going to happen because why would there be based on how things have gone? Yeah, I yeah. I, I agree. And um, yeah, go ahead, Will. Sorry. Well, I mean, it's just you know we talk about how it's broken. It's like I don't know how you fix it. I, I mean. Are they suddenly going to get a Pro Bowl like left guard to come in and replace the Pro Bowl left guard they went out and got in free agency? Like because he's a huge issue. Roger Saffold, the Titans aren't using the players on offense. The you know how they should be used. Uh, I mean, I, I, I tweeted this out yesterday. The Titans were in the end zone four times yesterday for seven points between penalties and you know reviews and all that. It was it was just one thing after another. So I don't know what you do to fix that. Like, but, I, I don't know what you do to get – okay, so it's like there was holding on the right side on a run to the left that didn't affect anything that gets a touchdown call back. Then, you know, you settle for three points. Then your kicker misses his fourth kick of the day or his third kick, I think, at that point of the day. And it's just like things like that are so demoralizing that, like, I mean, all Santos had to do was go 75% and the Titans win. And that's including, you know, that that late touchdown. That I mean, I don't know. It it's it's it seems like every time I think of an answer, I think of another way that they could have shot themselves in the foot or screwed themselves. And it's just it's just hard to watch. We'll talk a little bit about the kicker situation in a minute. Uh, but will I want to talk about something that you mentioned? You said, you know, I don't know if it's possible to bring in a uh, like a Pro Bowl left guard. I know you were kind of joking about that, but you know. I'm under the opinion that the problems with this offense are so widespread, number one, and so deep, number two, that I don't know that if you brought in Marshall Yonda, prime Marshall Yonda, and put him at left guard or right guard if, if you rather have Saffold than Davis, that anything's going to get better. It's just, like I said, it's broken. Are they communication issues that are happening? Because I, I, I would don't love know. To know. I don't know if anyone's. Well, you know, like, yeah, that, that was actually what I wrote about uh, leading up to this game. Is I wrote about communication. I talked to Marcus and Delaney and and Lawan about that, and and all of them seem to say that like communication is one of the things that they do well. There's big emphasis on it. They say, you know, let's be loud. Who cares if they know what the play call is? They don't understand our verbiage. And, and you know, I asked the question today to a couple guys. I said, is it a culture problem? And Roger Saffold, who was on a Super Bowl team last year in L.A., said, no, it's definitely not a culture problem. The culture here is outstanding for what I've seen since I've come here. And, and, and I don't know what the problem is. Everyone says, well, we're not executing. Okay, what does why? That mean? What does that mean? I don't, I don't understand. So if, if, the co- <laughs> if the offensive line coach isn't the problem, according to Brabel, he has he a is, lot though. of confidence in him. Of course he's, of course he's the problem. Yeah. Because, because the offensive line last year had a game against the Ravens. They had, what, 11 sacks or something? It was yep. unbelievable. And we had the same similar game against the Jaguars, two of the worst offensive line performances in NFL history, I think. They were giving up sacks left and right. They're making the Texans' offensive line look like a competent unit. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, man. Maybe the players just became really bad at football uh, from, during the offseason. Or maybe the coach who should get all of them together and on the same page should be doing a better job. In my opinion, that's probably what the problem is. 
But according to Mike Rabel, that's not what the issue is. Very so, confident. Very confident. Uh, yeah. Very confident. Like, like it, it was almost condescending to even ask if he should be confident in him. That's how confident he is. So the thing is, and we've, we've even talked about this before, is we were promised consistency. There was only one coaching change on the whole staff, and that was Arthur Smith being promoted. And uh, is it Dowling that got, got brought in at tight ends coach? Um or Downing, Todd Downing, whatever, whatever his name is, I'm, I'm. Todd mixing up Downing is, yeah. uh, what is he? I know he's the a name. tight end coach. Yeah, tight end yeah, coach from right. um, from Minnesota Baltimore, or from Minnesota last year, and then he was the offensive coordinator at Oakland before that. But you know, the problem is, is we're getting consistency. We look every bit as bad as we do la- did last year on offense, and we look every bit as good as we did on <laughs> Very defense. Very good so point. It's like you know, <laughs> you want you want to go from good to great, but the coaches in place are only capable of good and they're only capable of that sometimes. Yeah. It's funny so, you say that I, I was talking to my dad after the game yesterday and he said, you know, they're just so, uh, they're just so unpredictable. And I said, no, I, I think they're very predictable. Yeah. <laughs> this win loss, win loss pattern is extremely predictable. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's I mean, all you have to do is, check inside yourself and you say, okay, do I feel confident that the Titans are like a good team now? Because if you do, then immediately after that, they're going to lose a game. And it doesn't matter if it's to New England or if it's to Miami. Like, they're going to lose to somebody. It just, it, it depending on who. Like, the problem is, is that, I, I don't know if it's fan ambivalence or I don't know if it's like a lack of energy from the players or what, but it seems like, when the Titans, at least to me, when the Titans win, it's like it's okay. But when they lose, it's terrible. And the fan turnout and the people in the stands is worse this year. People seem to care less. Like it seems like even at the McNair uh, Eddie George thing, it's like okay, the Titans get to go against the Colts, who don't have Andrew Luck now, and they should have a good chance. And this will be like a home opener, and that you know it'll be a great chance to win a game. It seemed like. Nobody on the field ever like really took anything by you know took the bull by the horns and was like okay this is how we need to step up and this is such a big game like we've got veteran leaders quote unquote all over the place we need to make sure we win this game and then nobody in the stands cared like it's just it's such a weird feeling it's like and I've seen this a lot on Twitter is that people say that you know the Titans and Titans fans have just accepted mediocrity and I don't want to believe that like people use it a lot to slander like Mariota which we know how, what our stances are on that but like at this point it's more like what what do you do to break out of that cycle I just I don't, I don't know what mm-hmm. you do Well and you know this execution stuff as we were talking about that like all three of us are sports writers and so for us Imagine if for like weeks, like for three or four weeks, we're cranking out stories where we're taking quotes out of context and we're just blatantly wrong and we have like grammar and spelling errors and what we're writing doesn't make any sense. And our bosses come to us and they say, it's been awful for the last three or four weeks. What's the problem? Ah, Boss, lack of execution. Like what? Yeah, I mean (laughs) – you're right. Like it's it's this weird thing where it's like that's not excusable. Like you doing your job badly, and and like maybe that's too simplified of a way to put it. But if your excuse for the players not playing well on the field is that they're not executing, it's like yeah. Well, they're also an extension of 
what you're doing in practice. Like that was the big thing with, okay, all these veteran players are going to get the days off and like training camp. And, you know, it's not, not really a hard camp. If you've got anything at all, you know, sit out and rest. Well, that's an issue when your biggest problem during the season is execution, because that's what training camp is there for. Like learning how to execute and work together. And, Okay, I get it with Saffold and Lawan because there's a suspension. You had to get Kelly ready, whatever. But the other nine guys on offense, and like I guess the eleven guys on defense are doing fine. But the other nine guys on offense don't have the same excuse. But like because they got kind of like pampered and babied and stuff, it, it just it, it it just rubs me all kinds of the wrong way. Because if it's not the coaching that's the issue, and it's not the players' talent level, it's just their execution. I mean, whose fault is that on? Like, if there's no coach? punishment for not, yeah, if the there's coach. no punishment for not executing and doing your job. I mean, okay, so think about your story. So, if you were writing and you know you said you know execution's the issue, and the and your editor said, oh, well, that's fine. I didn't know it was that. Go ahead, keep doing what you're doing. It'll be all right. And just kept paying you and doing everything the same. Then yeah, and I keep like, making the same errors. Yeah, but you, you don't you wouldn't even care. Yeah. Like it, because you would just be accustomed to doing this and just saying, "Okay, like this is the level of effort I have to put in. I could probably even put less in because there's no repercussions and you could and you continue to get paid and everything's the same." Like, I mean, at a certain point your pride takes over and you're like, "I can't have my name attached to this." But like if you're an NFL football player and you've gotten accolades before, or if you got a bunch of money or whatever, like how incentivized are you if the season starts out poorly to be like, well, you know, I know it's hot outside, it's humid, you know, I, I know we're in Nashville where there's plenty of fun things to do. I'm really going to crack down and like focus and do everything I'm supposed to. I mean, you're not incentivized hey, at all. You know what it reminds me of is is I went to a high school that had a dress code, but but it would get broken all the time. Like people would a lot and in some ways just blatantly ignore it. But the school would never do anything about it. There was never any consequence for that, and it drove me insane. I was like, why have the dress code if there's no repercussion for the dress code? And you nailed it, Will. If I'm making spelling errors and misquoting people and I'm wrong, but nothing happens and I keep getting paid, yeah, I'm going to keep doing it because there's nothing showing me, hey, this isn't going to work anymore. And so because Mike Vrabel is so resistant to change, because he keeps giving this answer, well, you know, we're not we're not going to change our approach, basically. Because he keeps saying that, right? There's no. It's like it's not a meritocracy, and that bothers me. Yes, it, it bothers me too, and uh, I kind of want to focus a little bit on uh, on on the on the offense question, like what we can do to fix it. Just because I I think there are a couple things that that we can. That we can work on, that we can change. Hope, hopefully, if Arthur Smith thinks that there needs to be a change, first of all, we need a second running back who can actually do something with his touches, uh, because Deion Lewis is doing pretty much nothing with his touches. In fact, he's dropping passes. And how dare you say such? So things. yeah, I, I can't <laughs> believe it. Too. I'm confident. But, but I mean, trade for Kenyon Drake. Get him out of Miami. He's electric. He's over carry in his career that wouldn't take big. more than like a conditional six right right we just saw we just saw zay jones get traded for a fifth exactly and, and he was you know they had way more he like sucks. resources tied up to him yeah yeah and like they had resources tied up to him and he was getting starter reps so yeah. like or if, even 
even even just just bring in McNichols. It, it, clearly, he's not even that good because no one's signing him. But he, at least he did some things in the in the preseason that made you think, oh, maybe this guy could actually you know carve out a, a little role because yeah. because you need you need some sort of dynamism to your offense that we just don't have right now. The other thing. How many had, years have I been saying that that they no, needed dynamism? I know. I know. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. Th- that's that's one of the biggest things. Getting a guy behind Henry who is different than him, which Dion is, but someone who's actually good and can do something with his touches. Second, get the ball to your playmakers. Corey Davis, AJ Brown, and Delaney Walker had eight targets yesterday, and Mariota was over eight yards per attempt. Why were we not throwing the ball more to Davis, Brown, and Walker, who have made big plays all season? I don't. I just. I don't Gosh. understand. It's and that's infuriating. With several, it's that's with several drops too. I mean, like, I don't want to. This is again not a Mariota debate, but like, the the players were dropping passes, and it was still way more successful to pass the ball than it was to run the ball. Like, I don't understand where the disconnect is. Is it like either the Titans are too afraid to leave their offensive lineman in one-on-one pass protection, which might be it. And that's why we don't see a lot of running game or a lot of passing games. Wide receiver screens do something. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can, yeah, there, there are 20 teams in the NFL with at least with less quality on their offensive line in terms of talent than the Titans have. Coaching is another issue and whatever, but just the names on the players and like what their body of work shows, like the Titans have talent. The problem is, is that they don't use it, which is it continues to be an issue. It seems like they, like Dean Pease wants to funnel the other offense into third and one. The Titans want to funnel themselves into third and seven. Like <laughs> it seems like they're trying to scheme up. It's like, okay, did we get eight yards on first down? Okay, we're gonna run a double reverse, or we're gonna run, you know, a seven step drop with max protection, and then like just sit there. You know, it, it's it's all these. It's just like. So there's much no, there's inefficiency. no verticality to this to this offense either. There's like, no anything. Where, where, where the deep well, shots? Where's Khalif Raymond? There's, I, there's, I don't know. There's you know, two things that work for this offense: AJ Brown and Derrick Henry, and, and they're Tasha not Sharp. doing anything with either of them. Arguably, yeah. yes, Tajay Sharp too. Oddly enough, is doing good. I mean, it, it's so weird because it's like when the Titans test deep, it works. And when the Titans test the intermediate parts of the field, it generally works. What generally doesn't work is quick passes, although they were working yesterday fine, but is like the quick passes that have to rely on like the running back, the screen passes to the running backs don't work. Like there's there's several things that don't, the, especially the short, like the two-second passes. But like if Mario gets a clean pocket for three three and a half seconds, he generally comes up with a play that hits a receiver in the hands at 15 yards or he scrambles for yards. And like, here's here's why I say the offense is broken, right? Because you, you're hitting the nail on the head. Again yesterday, zero third down conversions in the first half. It's unbelievable. Also, Mariota is one of the better deep ball throwers in the league every time he needs yep. to or is actually allowed to throw deep he puts it on the money he's incredibly accurate down the field and we have no downfield uh you know aspect to our offense well so i think we trade the, the, day one. well 
Well, the pass I protection, think I think, probably has some to do with that. But, like, and, and, and roll, the, tit- the, tit- the Titans have gone from Mariota not knowing when to get rid of the ball and drifting into sacks to Mariota has no chance. Like, there was one yeah. play, the, the missed face mask call, I, th- I think that if they, they didn't get the, if they had, if there wasn't a face mask, I think he would have gotten out of that. Uh, I thought Mario would have played fine. It's it's just become everyone else's fault. I, I don't, I, I agree. I just, I, I don't like the excuse of that, that he doesn't have, we don't have enough time for a deep play to develop. There, there are ways on that. You run play action just like Aaron Rodgers does, and you get him out to the side, and you block it well on the perimeter, and he has a chance to actually let the routes develop in, in downfield. If you're an offensive coordinator in the NFL, you should be able to work around the limitations of 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 your talent, in my personal opinion. Yeah, if you're an offensive coordinator in the NFL, you should be watching college football every Saturday because there's players on there that will never make it to the NFL who are playing against guys who will be drafted in the first and second round, and yet they find ways to manufacture these deep plays and figure out ways to do things. Like being on a level playing field, which is what the NFL is for the most part, is not a disadvantage. Like people really need to like watch the college game and figure out what's working because those are the athletes you're going to get anyway. But I mean – even beyond that, like, it, the the problem is, is that Mariota in this offense can only perform to the level of okay because that's all that's ever asked of him. They won't ask him to do more. Like, they won't ask him to have four wide receiver sets where he drops and his you know his he has levels all over the field and he goes through progressions. They don't ask him to do that. Like. They do two man like two man routes with max protection. They do screen passes to the wide receiver running backs or the tight ends, I guess. They do, you know, the AJ Brown, Corey Davis, uh, Tajay Sharp routes where they have three guys, but really there's only one guy that the play is really set up to go to. Like there's nothing they're not letting him at least attempt to be an NFL quarterback, and they're not giving him the volume to to you know to even try to make things happen. So what you get is a stat line of under 30 passes for Mariota where he has around 220 yards and then the touchdowns are all random based off what the players do after the catch. But I mean, he's not like he's not asked to do things and at this point you need to ask him to do that because even if you don't believe he's that guy, like let's say Arthur Smith just knows that Mariota isn't that guy, which I don't agree with, but if that's what he thinks if he's not that guy, then you need to do something different. Like you do need to try Tannehill and just say, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to throw the ball deep because he's not the problem. But if you're not going to let him be the answer and the solution to these problems, you're just wasting everybody's damn time. Here's another problem. Guess how many more after five games receiving yards Adam Humphreys has than Tajay Sharp? Ten. Oh, I was going to say 12. Higher than that. Sharp has uh, 106. Humphreys has 142. Wow. Well, wow. Humphreys had a lot in that Jaguars game. Yeah, but Tajay had that 50-yard bomb in the Jaguars game too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that's the thing is like when they do go vertical and deep plays, it's oddly it to Tajay Sharp sometimes. Yeah, but it works. That's the thing is it's like it works or they give uh, – by the way uh, – 
there's a play, and I just want to talk about this before it sticks in my head, where Mariota throws it up the left sideline to Corey Davis, who comes back to it, and people are saying that it's a Corey Davis drop or it's a Mariota underthrow. For 95% of the quarterbacks in the NFL, that's defensive pass interference, and that gets the ball on the one-yard line because the defender did not turn around, and he ran right into Corey Davis when he was trying to go up and get the ball. He should have caught it. Because... Yeah, like he should have, but that's not the point. The point is, is that if the name plate on the back of the jersey was different, like that would have been on, you know, the ball on the one yard line in a game that was. But Corey Davis you know, hasn't done anything to make himself that. But it's not. But it's not about the receiver. It's about like the fact that it's. I mean, I guess I should say like the logo on the helmet, because like there's so many other players. Whether it's like. I mean, if it's Kansas City's receivers and they come back to a ball and they get touched like that, it's pass interference. And I know it's because the expectation is, is like, well, if they're throwing the ball there, that was intended to go there or whatever. But that's not how this should be designed. Like, the NFL shouldn't be graded on a curve. It's like, that's either pass interference or it's not. And that was that's a play that gets called 95% of the times, and that's why it's drawn up that way. It's drawn up to, okay, you're going to throw it, we're going to call it a back shoulder throw, and but what it really is is you're just going to go up and then it's almost a guaranteed pass interference and then if it's not you should have a clean look because the defensive back should be so scared that he doesn't want to make pass interference but if you don't call it then it like it shouldn't even be in the playbook but i don't know it's that's very frustrating one of the many issues i have with the refs from yesterday well we're we're going to take a quick break from our uh intense conversation on the titans offense we're going to come back to it uh, but as we break, uh, earlier, Matthias and I caught up with uh, my compadre from A to Z Sports, Buck Rising. We talked with him about Mike Vrabel, the Titans head coach, and his many shortcomings as of late in leading the team. All right, so I want to start off by asking you about what we got today at the Vrabel press conference on Monday slash pseudo open locker room where there were a few players we got to talk to it's interesting my impression of being there was far different than a lot of fans impression on twitter it felt like Uh, i saw someone's a lot of people saying like vrabel got grilled by the media and he looked unprepared he looked like it was a uh, almost like an ambush attack that he wasn't ready for just kind of curious, what were your takeaways from today, and and what do you think is sort of the, uh, I guess, mood coming from that building right now? Um, I wouldn't say that. I mean, Mike handled that fine. He handled it in stride. He got a little, he got a little ruffled a, a couple times, but honestly, it felt like a, it felt like a press conference in any other market <laughs> this week. <laughs> I mean, we're pretty easy on him most days. There's no reason to uh, to get after Mike Vrabel, and we. It's not like we got after him today, but there was a little more, a little more spice from our side, because um, there's plenty of questions that they have to they have to answer. I mean, this is this is a situation where Mike Vrabel in year two appears to have gotten worse at decision making. Uh, he is now 0 for 5 in games this season in which, in which he has had one dopey mistake. Uh, that is not something I would have expected of Mike. I mean, the, the mood over there, I guess, 
is is just more the same though. Like Roger Saffold <laughs> is new to the inconsistency of the Tennessee Titans, and Roger Saffold is being buried because he's not used to what the hell they do to people on a regular basis and do to their fan base, which is uh, surprise and then disappoint and surprise again and then disappoint again and on and on the cycle goes uh, until we have an eight and eight or a nine and seven and. Uh, maybe one, maybe one game worse, uh, depending on how things break divisionally. I just, you know, I, I have seen this movie before, boys. Isn't it kind of annoying though that that pretty much everyone just keeps reiterating the same answers that we've heard for so long, and nothing ever really seems to get changed. I, I mean, this team is certainly better than the one from a few years ago, um, but we still continue to hear the same cliche phrases. Uh, you know, like we're gonna get it fixed. It, it's on us. Um, do, do you think that Delaney has kind of a couple times this season? I, I think he's been more. He's got a little rogue, which we, we're not really used to. Uh, but do you, do you think someone needs to step up and maybe maybe say that something to change within the team, within the culture of the team? It's it's awfully uh, it's awfully standard practice. For an NFL team, for coaches, for players, uh, regardless of struggles, regardless of success, to speak without saying anything for a substantial, or not a substantial, but a period of time to get through the media obligation and to move on. There's this is not this is not something that I, you know, it doesn't bother me because it's the same in many other NFL markets. Me and Luke were talking about this in the locker room today, and yes, they have things that they need to fix, and yes, they have uh, people who need to be held at account, and particularly uh, in a locker room where there is a lack, a lack of a vocal leader that holds sway over everyone, I guess is the way that I would say it. Like, Logan Ryan is a leader, but Logan Ryan probably does not... Uh, Probably Logan Ryan's opinion on things probably do not affect Ben Jones in in one way or another. Marcus Mariota is a different kind of a leader, but Marcus Mariota is not the one to take control of the entire locker room and say, "Okay, boys, this, uh, that, and the other. This is how we're going to do things from now on. We're going to move forward this way." Now, Marcus is going to do as the coaches ask him, going to be supportive of, of his uh, of his teammates and go about his business in a much quieter fashion. It's uh, it's surprisingly unsurprising, I guess, when you when you look at these things, because this is a this is this is a conversation that's being had in many other in many other cities right now. It's the conversation that's been had for years in Detroit and in Cincinnati and in Tampa Bay and in every other market where there's a middling NFL team that can't seem to find uh, the thing that gets them over the hump. I'm glad you brought that topic up and that conversation that we were having earlier because I wanted to ask you a little more about that. You know, you mentioned some of these middling franchises like Detroit, like Cincinnati, but I think the, the difference between those situations and the Titans situation is that just over a year ago, the Titans fired a, a playoff game winning coach, two things that neither of those franchises have had in years, uh, to you know, this mantra, go from good to great. And I know that was just adopted this season, but that's kind of what Vrabel was supposed less to less do. Less so these days, bud. 
Less and less, though, these days. No more good to great around the locker room. <laughs> it's it, and ex- but that's what I'm saying. It's it feels like it, it feels less of oh same old Titans and more like a failure because that was clearly the goal and they're falling well short of that goal. I mean, it's trending that way for sure. No, it's you're absolutely correct in that. Um, through five games, you can you can draw whatever conclusions you would like to, but if this. If this continues, if if their words are just words, and if no substantial action is taken, if Mike Vrabel really does, in fact, intend to, as he told us Sunday night, to go about the business uh, the way that they have been going about their business in terms of preparation, uh, that rang eerily of Mike Malarkey when Mike, after uh, after they beat Cleveland 12-9 to in a touchdownless overtime, awful football atrocity against the then winless, the, the Cleveland Browns that would go on to be winless, Mike Malarkey was entrenched in his position that this is the way that things should be done. And Mike Malarkey was entrenched in his position that he knew the right thing, uh, the right way to go about things, and that ultimately cost him his job because, well, it was part of the reason that he was fired, uh, his refusal to adapt. Uh, Vrabel is not somebody I would have accused of that until uh, until Sunday, where he said that, and you and I looked at each other like, what the hell is he talking about? They're not going to change yeah. anything. Mike, Mike's a smart guy. Mike, And Mike is somebody, I believe, has the capabilities the wherewithal to be a good NFL head coach. But again, it speaks to the decision-making of this season where there is one moment in every game where we're looking at him, either if you're watching from home or in the press box or in the stands, and you're thinking, what the actual hell are you doing, Mike Vrabel? Um, And so, yes, trending towards failure. Not there yet, (laughs) because for better or worse, there's still 11 more games. Oh, goodness. Uh, that need to be played. And they're, you know, regardless of how bad that Bills loss felt, not because they lost, but because of the way that they lost, there's still time for them to do something about it. But if you continue to pile up conference losses in particular, if you continue to make dopey decisions that can either cost you the game, help cost you the game, or even if you win, potentially, like Atlanta, the fourth and sixth, crap that they pulled with that shotgun carry by Derrick Henry. Those things can potentially open the door to disaster. Those are the things that have to get corrected. And unfortunately, if you're a Titans fan, uh, those are the things that are on your head coach. What do you think is, is the way out of this kind of, you know, like vicious cycle of mediocrity that we've kind of put ourselves into or been into for so long? Because it feels like we're in that same tier as maybe the Bengals, the Lions, those types of teams that just year to year, they might have a good 10-6, 9-7 season, maybe make the playoffs, but they just can never get over the hump. Uh, do you think it's it's we need a, a different coach, a, a different coaching staff, uh, or do you think it, it's more so you get one or two transcendental players, uh, kind of like the Chiefs, who they had Alex Smith, they, they, they got Andy Reid as their head coach, uh, and they looked like a really good team. They had limited turnovers. Uh, they made the playoffs with Alex Smith, and, and, and Smith had one of the best years of his career with Andy Reid, but they, but they couldn't win playoff games. Uh, now they have Patrick Mahomes. It's just one one new player 
well, well, got Tyreek Hill, so so that helped. But it's really just one or two players that they got that that came into the team and turned them into an AFC Championship squad. Do you think the Titans are maybe one or two talented players away, or is this is this it, it, does it go deeper? Than that? I do think it goes deeper because um, that what what is wrong with them uh, is a is a and I can only speak to them because they are the team that I cover on a day to day basis. But I have friends in different markets who. Um, I talk to on a regular basis about, you know, things that they are dealing with and similarities that they can draw. Um, And yes, oftentimes the difference is one or two transcendent talents or uh, a stroke of genius from head from the head coaching uh, position. Like, you know, I mean, Sean McVay is obviously in a class unto his own. Nobody's going to make a comparison to Belichick. But Frank Reich is somebody who the culture's kind of stumbled into after they tried to hire Josh McDaniels and Frank Reich, I, and and honestly, after Mike Vrabel did not get the Colts job that he interviewed for, they went on to hire Josh McDaniels. And then after Josh McDaniels decided he didn't want any part of them, um, I don't know whether he knew something about luck that we didn't at the time, but they, they got Frank Reich and they're doing things to keep pace with the rest of the league. The Titans, and this is, this is something this is something that I've been stewing on for a while uh, with Mike. Mike Vrabel is somebody who I'm sure nailed his interview, is somebody who is uh, bright, is somebody who can help you in certain ways. What he does to scout officiate is hugely beneficial to them. Uh, and it's not something that I think uh, Mike Malarkey uh, would have done. It's not something that I think is being done many other places, and it does give them a pregame advantage. Um, but what Mike lacks is the ability to, one, it would seem, not get emotional during games, not coach emotionally, which lead to these questionable, if not uh, catastrophic, decisions that he has in these games. Secondarily, though, Mike doesn't have an offensive background. Mike has had two rookie uh, rookie play callers, certainly as offensive coordinators, and no ability to really give them the kind of oversight that somebody like Frank Reich or Andy Reid or Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan or even Jay Gruden, who absolutely I mean, Jay Gruden got fired in Washington as their first 0-5 start. Jay Gruden absolutely deserves an offensive coordinator job somewhere because whatever he does, whatever he is, he can get that season out of Andy Dalton. Now they had a ton of talent around him, but he understood the things that you have to do to keep pace in this league. And right now the Titans lack that advantage that everybody else has. Mike can be a good coach, but also hamstring them because he and Vic Fangio and, you know, Steve Wilkes, who lasted a year in Arizona, uh, and and other defensive head coaches, Dan Quinn in Atlanta, what's the problem with the Falcons? They're, they're a talented team that can't get their offense figured out, and the side of the ball that Dan Quinn has now taken over the play calling for uh, is terrible, which is the defense. That's the thing he's supposed to be good at. There are there are telltale signs of that with Mike. Now, the defense is really, really good, and Dean Pease does an exceptional job. Uh, but if you can't score 20 points without looking like you are laboring considerably, uh, you cannot you cannot last in the 2019 NFL and and beyond because that's the way that things go. You can give up 20 points because most teams can score 27 
the Titans, every time, if they score 22, they win. And it's so rare. I heard that stat on Midday 180, uh, courtesy of our, our, our buddy Paul Kaharski. If they score 22 points, they win. It's just that they don't ever score 22 damn points. And so this is the, this is the place where they exist. They hired a coach um, to fix or to maximize an offense without the coach realistically being able to fix or maximize the offense. I hate that I'm going to ask this question, uh, but I'm going to do it oh, anyway. <laughs> what does a Mike Vrabel run Titans team have that a Mike Malarkey run Titans team did not have? Um, that's an excellent question. Substantially, uh, I would, the defense was, I mean, God help me. Now I'm going to answer your question in a way that I would hate. Uh, the defense under Malarkey was good. The defense under Vrabel is, I mean, great. It's fantastic. Uh, and, you know, you can credit Dean Pease with that. Dick LeBeau played an all, way too much man coverage. They were getting, they were leaving their uh, secondary out on islands too often, and they weren't turning the ball over. Now, the pressure thing is an issue, and John Robinson did a really good job. I think, Luke, we were talking about this earlier. If you want to make any comparison between them and the Patriots, it's that Bill Belichick and John Robinson – are comfortable paying corners and secondary yeah. players because that is the way that you can you can make up for a lot of deficiencies if your secondary is as strong as both the Pats and the Titans are. Um, the defense is is really really spectacular. The defense had a lot of the same personnel under Malarkey, but they weren't playing to this caliber. And that's, that's not because Dick LeBeau was a bad coach. Dick LeBeau just had a certain way of doing things uh, that exposed your secondary a lot more than Dean Pease does. There was less less confusion uh, of the quarterback under Dick LeBeau. What uh, Dean Pease and, to his credit, Mike Vrabel have been able to do is turn that unit into one that is, you know, I mean, they can, they can play with anybody. Uh, the problem is they just too often have to carry the other side of the ball because the other side of the ball can, you know, score uh, 24 against Atlanta and then come out and do what they did against the Bills, which is poop their pants. So, so let, let me just flesh out what you just said and get you to confirm. So, And I'm not trying to take sides in this because I don't want to sound ridiculous. I'm just pointing out the facts. A Mike Vrabel coach team, Mike Vrabel, this defensive guy, Mike Vrabel brought in because Mike Malarkey ran a what was in some people's opinion an archaic offense and wouldn't get rid of run-run past Terry Robisky is better at defense and visibly worse, especially in terms of the offensive line with mostly the same personnel on offense. Yes. No, I, I would agree with that. But we do have to remember, Luke, and this is an important, this is an important clarification. Um, Mike, Mike Vrabel tried to hire Ryan Day, who's now Ohio State's head coach. Like those text messages that leaked uh, yeah. earlier, earlier this year – Mike Vrabel did try and, and modernize a little bit, try to bring a lot of these college concepts that Ohio State and other programs collegiately, because it's a trickle-up effect in football, weirdly enough, he did try to do that uh, by, by trying to get Ryan Day to come to Nashville. And, and you know, his contingency with, plan, uh, Matt LaFleur, could have been certainly a lot worse than he was. I mean, LaFleur's having great success with Green Bay right now. Yeah, I mean, but again, these you know, nobody 
Matt LaFleur has Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matt LaFleur has a really real I mean, that defense is also spectacular. What they what they did to put to uh what they did to put together that or rebuild that side of the ball this year in Green Bay. Um Matt LaFleur a lot of a lot but Matt, I mean you look at what you look at that game against the Eagles where Aaron Rodgers is throwing throwing from the one yard line four times yeah. and not getting it. Um those those are the things that were that were that were driving Titans fans insane. Um Matt and Arthur and I, I, I don't see I don't have any reason to believe that Arthur uh will be a bad offensive coordinator, but Arthur is learning on the job in a year where they needed to see as much as humanly possible from both the quarterback and the offensive side of the ball. They built everything they could. They could not have predicted that Roger Saffold would not, you know, would not seem to be able to pick up uh, a stunt on a regular basis like any other offensive lineman, certainly one that was second-team All-Pro uh, not but two years ago. And, yes, you're playing next to Andrew Whitworth, who's probably one of the best left tackles uh, in the history of the sport, but Taylor Lewan's not damn bad. Uh, and Dennis Kelly, Dennis Kelly was not the person that we were talking about when the offensive line was struggling. Dennis Kelly's fine on the left side. He did a lot better than I expected him to. Um, they did not anticipate that Adam Humphreys, who I swear to God would never have dropped a third down pass in Tampa Bay, uh, would legitimately have a, a, a fist fight with a ball on third down and drop those kind of passes uh, like he did against the Bills. On Sunday, the it's it's the it's the little things that they and Mike have to be able to do to help them win in the margins. Because mm-hmm. the job of the head coach, regardless of your if you're in college or if you're professional, the job of the head coach is to help tilt the odds in your favor. And when everything almost in the NFL is a pretty level playing field talent wise, uh, the head coach has to be able to flip that. They don't have that right now, and so when things start to go wrong. When Adam Humphreys doesn't, you know, isn't a part of the offense. When Delaney Walker, which they're telling you by his playtime, is hitting a little bit of an age wall. When Roger Saffold uh, seems to be not only not only uh, playing poorly, but I mean a, a liability, a legitimate liability. Their offensive line is a liability at this point for a quarterback who's been knocked around twenty plus times through five games. When these things happen, and Mike can't Mike can't do things. To get them over the hump or to uh, to cover up the inadequacies, then then you see the snowball effect that we now have, which is oh, it's all of those things and the head coach. Do you think uh, I, I don't want to like pose the question like do do you think Mike Frable was the wrong hire? But but do you think this team would be in a better place? If they had gone for an offensive-minded head coach instead of the instead of a defensive one, because I, I mean, you see some of the defensive head coaches that have been hired recently, like Vic Fangio with the Broncos. They don't look good, even, even though they won this last week. That was a, a chargersing, if I've ever seen one. Uh, but mm. but fa- but they have not started off well. Brian Flores in Miami. I know that team was going to be really bad, but that's a defensive-minded head coach. Uh, they don't look good. Uh, Patricia Patricia wasn't good with the Lions last year. They look better this year. Um, but it, it just seems like you maximize your team more. Maybe if you if you draft an offensive minded head coach, uh, do you do you believe that? And do you think this team would be in a better place if they had gone that direction? Uh, I all things being equal, I again I think Mike Vrabel I think Mike Vrabel is totally capable of being a good NFL head coach. I think that at for what they were looking for 
at the time that they were looking for it and with the quarterbacks that they currently have, they may not have him in the future, we'll see. Um, but I think at the time, he was not the best decision because of all the reasons that you just laid out. This is a very, very offensive-driven league, especially an offensive-driven league where if you watch that Kansas City-Indianapolis game last night that the Colts <laughs> the Colts ended up winning, which damns the Titans even more, Frank Reich's got two guys designated to be in his ear who are analytics-driven and who are whose focus is solely analytics, and they are in his ear while he is on the sideline helping him play the percentages. So not only do, do the Indianapolis Colts and teams like that that are thinking smartly and playing correctly in 2019, uh, not only do you have somebody who can help fine-tune your offense to where your, your play to draw the opposition offsides doesn't look like the Titans where in the Colts game they're stand Marcus Mariota and the offense are just standing there staring at the sideline oh, looking gosh. for something to do and then Jacoby Brissett in the same in the same situation and the Colts offense Jacoby Brissett is in total command he's there's a lot of pre-snap motion there's a lot of things going on he's doing all of these things himself and it just looks like a better even though the play is the same the objective is the same and the result was the same neither neither defense jumped off sides the crispness of the Colts in that particular moment, that was the crystallizing moment for me. I'm saying, oh, Mike can't do that. Mike can't help them do that. Because, Michael, if you ask Mike about Jack Conklin changing his stance, he'll say, well, I never played offensive line, so I couldn't speak to that except for left tackle on the punt uh, or on the kickoff, or excuse me, uh, field goal team. Um, and if you ask Mike about the quarterback, he said, well, you know, um, I, I never played quarterback, uh, but I sit in the meetings. Uh, this this is where these where these inadequacies or these things that Mike simply can't do, and and any of these defensive guys can't do. This is where they come to bear. Uh, and right now, with the way that the league is built and trending, uh, he it, it helps put you at a disadvantage where there are already disadvantages to be exploited. And I think what we were talking about earlier uh, about you know there being a lack of leadership. You mentioned that uh, that play where Mariota's just kind of looking around on the sideline. As I said on here a couple of weeks ago, that was just a prime example, I think, of uh, of no one being in control. Uh, but thank you so much for your time. Uh, we always appreciate it. Glad you could make your debut on the new show, No Nonsense. <laughs> yes, very happy to do so, uh, boys. I'm I'm happy to uh, to lend. Uh, an additional uh, voice anytime you need some uh, negativity, it would seem. <laughs> um, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Well, we thank Buck for joining us, making his debut appearance on No Nonsense. You can watch Buck every Sunday through Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Central Time on A to Z Sports Primetime. You can also listen to him on his podcast, The 615 Sessions. Uh, which is pretty much everywhere that our podcast is available. Yeah, we need to talk about the kicker stuff. Uh, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to uh, to get to it. Titans will have a new kicker next week, Cody Parkey, Mr. Double Doink, who was shamed and cut by the Chicago Bears after missing a would-be game winner in the postseason and then going on Good Morning America and like, going to a kindergarten. Very different, strange situation. He's the guy that lost to Cairo Santos in their kicking battle. Uh, 
Cairo Santos missed four field goals for the Titans on Sunday. Vrabel then sends him out and says, you know, we're very very confident in, in Cairo Santos. Very confident. That's his favorite phrase, by the way. Very, very confident. Very confident. Uh, just malpractice. Like, that, that, I go back to it again. Ignores reality to fantasize about some sort of ideal world. Yeah, so... We didn't have a kicker in the in in the offseason, preseason. We acted like Austin Barnard was was a part of the team when he was going to get cut regardless of what was going to happen. So we all just assumed Suckup was going to be the guy, right? And that completely did not happen. He goes on IR. And I don't know what we were expecting. Kickers are bad. And uh for for him to for for him to for him to say that he's He's confident in him to hit a 53 yarder after he. When that's his career long. Oh, yeah. That's his career long. (laughs) And he had missed three field goals and an extra extra point was last week that he missed. Mm. Yes. I don't even remember. It was so bad. And also, why didn't Brabel show confidence in Santos last week instead of going forward on fourth and one? When he could have made it a three-score game, I don't know. If that's another uh, another Brable point, but it's just ridiculous, man. I I I I don't even know what to say. I, I this isn't going to solve anything. Uh, us us talking about how bad the kicker was and Vrabel uh, being quote unquote confident in him, but we just really need suck up back. Okay, so here's my issue: is I don't mind you having confidence in a kicker I and mean, that's the wrong kicker to have confidence in but i don't mind that as a concept but you've got to explain to me what he's done that makes you more confident in him than the other players on the field because that's what you're saying when you say you're very confident is you're saying i'm more confident that the right option is we should try to kick this you know career long kick for him instead of doing options a b and c or you know, when it's a 33-yard field goal that he'll eventually miss or get blocked or whatever, you know, you're saying, okay, I trust him to get this more than I trust these players to do this, more than I trust Delaney Walker to get a touchdown or A.J. Brown or Mariota or Derrick yeah. Henry. Like, that that's what you're saying. And I understand that it sounds nice to phrase it that way, to say, like, I'm confident in those guys. But you need to have an analytics team, which was brought up today, or you need to have somebody in your ear that tells you it doesn't matter who you're confident in. This is the right call. And if you're confident enough in Cairo Santos to let him kick, you know, his fourth kick like that, you need to just put, you know, put the metrics and the decision making on somebody else's plate. And you just need to let them tell you what you need to be confident in. And then you can just later and say in the prayer conferences, okay, the numbers told us that that was the right thing to do. You know, I felt our personnel gave us the best chance to win if we did this. And that's what we did, whether it works or not, because right now your confidence isn't being rewarded and it's cost of the Titans two games. He shouldn't, he, he shouldn't have even kicked the third field goal after two missed field goals. I, I, me, me personally, I'm like, all right, man. We just have to go yeah. for it. I, I don't even care what down it is. Yeah, the thing is, it's like Distance, he, sorry. It, it, it. This is another issue that I think we need to talk about. Frable is he seems almost too reactionary too quickly because this definitely seems like you know he he heard about it last week that you know I talked to people and they said I shouldn't have kicked or I should have kicked the field goal and gone up three possessions and he heard people say that and he doesn't really understand why he should have done it because that wasn't his gut reaction to do it 
So he's heard that it's better to kick the field goal there. And in his head, in a 30-second window, he's like, well, I got criticized for not doing it last time, so let's kick a field goal. Even though it's two vastly different situations, it feels like he's overcorrecting too hard, which I wish was happening on the other side of the ball. Like I wish he would let Harold Landry rush up field more, or I wish he would let the Titans throw the ball more, or I wish he would dictate those things and make them happen instead of, you know, being reactionary to the wrong things. But it just, you know, there's a certain, there's a very few, uh, I guess, things that I need from a head coach to give me a, a lot of confidence in him. But you have to be able to make decisions in crunch time when, you know, the bullets are flying. You need to be able to evaluate your personnel correctly and make the right decision on who to play and when. And then you need to understand, okay, this is the time when we need to try for this because of an emotional standpoint, whether the numbers say it or not. Like that that's the X factor that, you know, it, people will argue no matter what sport you're talking about, but I believe momentum is real. And so like sometimes as a, as the coach, you need to have a good feel in the pulse of your team and figure out when it's time to take those chances. But like, if you can't do those three three things well, then what are you offering to a team that already has a defensive coordinator and an offensive coordinator? Nothing. That's the yeah, answer. I mean, that's, that's just what it is. Let's close out, as we always do, with our hashtag stop the nonsense segment. And as I was telling Matias earlier, uh, it shouldn't be that hard <laughs> this week because when the Titans lose in a way like that, Twitter just explodes with nonsense. But my mind stop the nonsense is maybe a bit of a different vibe than usually. It's not so much a bad take. It's just like a misuse of Twitter. Um so so Paul <laughs> Paul Kuharski tweets Cam Wake is out. And someone res- Mac responds, bye bye. And Paul responds, to whom? And he says, the pass rush. What? And it's like, okay, that wasn't clear in your in your initial message. I don't know why. I just found that really interesting. Yeah, that is I mean, definitely interesting. I would not use Twitter that way. Also, <laughs> the Titans are fifth in sacks. Like, I know this is not what this section of the podcast is for, but the Titans are fifth in sacks, and like they send three or four rushers on what seems like every play when they're not blitz in a corner. So it, that's truly impressive. Like as much as I like Cam Wake, like the idea that like he is some key to the pass rush is just like somebody seen the Titans for one game and that was against the Browns and then never watched him again. Bye <laughs> to who? <laughs> pass <Bye>. rush. <laughs> oh man, that is good stuff. So yeah, there were a lot of bad takes. Uh, I, so I, I really didn't know which which one to pick. Everyone was kind of just in a in a heap of heap of anger, and and, and I don't blame them. So uh, I'll focus on one of the one of the bigger media guys. Uh, his name is Clay Travis. I'm sure you've all heard of him. Yeah. So he was going. Oh my God, he was going in. Oh, I haven't muted, label. so I, I haven't seen any of these. Yeah, you know, sometimes it just gets it just gets retweeted on my uh, on my timeline. So he was talking about Brable doing all the Cairo Santos thing, and then and then he uh, he ended it with fire Mike Rabel in November, which would be wow, okay, in the middle of the season, and then offer Lincoln Riley twenty twenty million dollars a year. Listen, man, I love Lincoln Riley. I think he's really cool. 
But can you imagine paying a head coach $20 million a year, especially one who's an unknown? I just think that's that that's just ridiculous. I, well, I would love Lincoln Riley. Also, he would never come here to begin Clay, with. Clay Travis is a bad combination for takes about the Titans. He is a take guy. He's one of those sports guys that like takes like in the you know the the Colin Cowherd mold. And I like Colin Cowherd. Yeah. Being a take <laughs> guy is not a bad thing. Being a take guy and being a Titans fan are is a bad combination because your bias takes over the takeness, you know, and it just yeah. it's a bad combination. And in the, in the same tweet, he's uh, he also justified it by saying you're paying a expletive uh offensive line a hundred million dollars a year as if we can use the money no, from not. the offensive line to pay the head coach i i don't think it works like that they're, I don't, they're the paying that offensive line like, like forty thousand, maybe yeah well one makes what 15 saffold makes 12 that's 27 uh nate nate davis makes about seven hundred thousand. ben jones mm-hmm. makes eight million so yeah right about 40 million dollars yeah, close to a hundred million dollars for sure. A lot of rollover. <laughs> so, uh, mine is more of a concept than a specific tweet because I've seen it a lot. But it specifically comes from a uh, a tweet that popped up this afternoon or this morning, I guess. I think it was uh, John Glenn. I need to pull it up. Uh, I think it was John Glennon who tweeted out that uh, PFF had officially credited the sacks. And the way he worded the article, oh yeah, was, I saw that. Uh, so it basically, uh, just without quoting it, it's uh, there was two sacks that belonged to uh, Saffold. Um, I think one that was on uh, Kelly, and then like the two other ones like weren't mentioned. And the way he worded it made it sound like he was uh, saying that the other two were going to Mariota, but. When he said it, the, what he actually meant to say is like none of them were Mariota's fault, according to Pro Football Focus. The, but like that's just the way he worded the tweet. And the flip in the conversation between people who were ready to bury Marcus Mariota based on what PFF had said, could, like the flip from those people turned into the people who were immediately defended Mariota, and vice versa, where the people who had bashed <laughs> Mariota had just completely gone silent because oh, the man. stat that it's it's so baffling to me that an account that granted like they do do some nice work and that like there's we i think we've talked on here like sometimes pro football focus can be really good like when they measure quantifiable things and things that like pass the eye test it's a good way to measure like a metric but because you know fifty thousand of the people online uh, saw that you know that was the way that tweet was worded and twenty five thousand immediately turned and used that to bash the other half, exactly. And then the other twenty, and this, the those fifty thousand all watched the same game on Sunday, but because a Pro Football Focus account tweeted that this sack arbitrarily went to Mariota or didn't go to Mariota, like to flip your whole entire argument on that is so asinine. And like, Pro, Fo- Pro Football Focus has become, in a lot of ways, an excuse for laziness. Yeah, it is. It's in and an excuse for not understanding what you're watching. It's it's an excuse, and, and I mean this, and not in a derogatory way, but it's an excuse for ignorance. It's you you don't want to like really go back and look, and so instead of putting the time in to like acquire the knowledge that you're trying to figure out, and say, okay, like I want to know how Ben Jones blocked. 
So instead of but instead of going and watching, you know, how he blocked on the film that's on NFL Rewind or if you watch the game and you like recorded it on a DVR or whatever, instead of going back and watching that, you just want to say, but I don't want to watch and spend all that time on it. I'm just going to Google what somebody else said. And then I'm going to use that to defend whatever argument I want either way. Like that's you're just you're not getting any smarter and you're making the Internet dumber. So don't do that. Like, please, <laughs> please realize how bad that makes not only like you as a person seem, but, you know, Titans fans in general and just the human race. So please don't do that. Like that's that's my stop. The nonsense is don't let wording and semantics on somebody else's tweet from a, a third party site affect the way you think of the game that much. Oh, man. And, and my man who jumped off the pedestrian bridge onto a table, he can stop the nonsense as well. I think he's stopping the walking. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. Like, I, I don't think well, I, one of his buddies got on Reddit and said he had a severe concussion and that was the only damage. I mean... Because he didn't hit the concrete. It looked bad. I mean... Could have been way worse, yeah. Face first... I've I told Matias, oh, I'll, I'll be at the, I'm parking at Nissan Stadium on a Thursday night before a Predators game. I'm going to uh, go to the pedestrian bridge and like measure out how tall that is because I really don't know, and I just want to get a gauge of like how far this dude actually fell, and I'll, I will report back. It's, it is one of the better videos online right now. It, does oh, it's it, it's like. I mean, it, it reminds me of. Do y'all remember that video of the guy who was in, like, the metro system in London, and like going down an escalator on the rail, and then like hit the bottom and fell off? Or am I? Do y'all even know what I'm talking about? Yes. No. <laughs> I will. I will send it to you guys. But it, it has the same feeling of that. When you subscribe to our Patreon, uh, <laughs> you'll get you'll get free access to all these DMs. Oh. And all the gory videos like this. <laughs> yeah, all, all, all like the barely legal bootleg videos of the early like early to mid-90s and I, I, 2000s. I just found it. Oh, this is... Yeah, that's exactly that's the exactly the video I was thinking of. Oh, the yes. Seen yes. This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has the same vibe as that. Like, extraordinarily painful, probably. But, like, at the same time, I can't stop watching. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, like, ingrained in my brain. Oh man, oh, I wish man. you guys could watch this. <laughs> well, sure we, we... we'll be back after the Titans inevitably win against the Denver Broncos to preview their ultimate disappointment against the LA Chargers, which will come the uh, following week after that. All, all those things are true. We'll be favored <laughs> against the uh, Chargers, and we'll lose, and we'll be like a game. We'll be like a negative one point five uh, underdog against uh, uh, the Broncos this week. So. That'll be fun. Until that time comes, uh, for Matias, for Will, for Buck Rising, I am Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.